Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We have to have a candidate who can inspire at the deepest level the best values and instincts of the American people. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. I'm excited today and I hope you are too because my guest is someone very special who I've been wanting to interview for a while now and not just because he appeared in the Matrix movies. He's one of the most prominent supporters of Senator Bernie Sanders, who formally declared his candidacy for President of the United States this past weekend. He's an anti-racist in his heart. He has a consistency over the years, decade after decade, going to jail in Chicago as a younger brother, and he would go to jail again. He and I would go to jail together again. That, of course, is the voice of the one and only Cornell West, academic, author, activist, socialist, and perhaps the original Bernie brother. Boom, boom. So on today's show, a lively discussion with Dr. West on race, inequality, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump and the 2020 Democratic presidential race. Four years is a very long time in politics. Back in 2016, Bernie Sanders was an insurgent candidate, an outsider, an underdog with very little money and very little name recognition. Now, in the run-up to the 2020 election, he's one of the front-runners in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination. He's one of the most popular politicians in America. And to seal the deal, this time round, he's decided to get personal. I learned a great deal about immigration as a child because my father came from Poland at the age of 17 without a nickel in his pocket, without knowing one word of English. He came to the United States to escape the crushing poverty that existed in his community and to escape widespread anti-Semitism. And it was a good thing that he came to this country because virtually his entire family was wiped out by Hitler and Nazi barbarism. What's often lost in the coverage of Bernie Sanders' candidacy, both last time and this time, is that if he wins, he would be the first ever Jewish president of the United States. In our era of quote-unquote identity politics, in our era of rising bigotry and anti-Semitism, surely that matters. Surely that should be some defence against the charge that he's just another old white man against the charge that he has a problem with race. Does Bernie Sanders have a problem with black voters? Bernie Sanders struggled with the black vote in the 2016 election. And this is why Hillary beat her Bernie. Black voters did not show up for Bernie Sanders. Those voters, those are still the core of the Democratic Party. And if Bernie's going to have a problem, that's where it's going to come up. Some of his critics have even taken to just making things up when it comes to pushing this Bernie is bad on race narrative. Here's former Hillary Clinton campaign staffer Zelina Maxwell on MSNBC commenting on his launch speech. I clocked it. He did not mention race or gender until 23 minutes into the speech. Just not true. Here's Bernie Sanders right at the start of his speech, just a few minutes in. The underlying principles of our government will not be 
racism, sexism, xenophobia, homophobia, and religious bigotry. Look, there is no denying the fact that in 2016, Bernie did take a beating from Hillary Clinton when it came to African-American voters in states like South Carolina, where Hillary won a whopping 86% of the black vote, while Bernie won just 14% even though it's also worth pointing out that a majority of young black people who voted in the Democratic primaries in 2016 voted for Bernie over Hillary. Now, nearly four years later, the polls show the independent senator from Vermont has higher favourables with black and Latino voters, whether young or old, than any other Democratic candidate with the exception of Joe Biden. Higher favourables, I might add, than both senators Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. Bernie contrary to the conventional wisdom, has worked hard to make inroads into black communities. He now talks much more about racial discrimination and racial inequality, as he did, for example, at a recent CNN town hall. Black kids are leaving college more deeply in debt than white kids. So we have an enormous amount of disparity in wealth, in education, in health that must be addressed. And I will work as hard as I can, number one, to have a cabinet that reflects what America is, and number two, to do everything that I can in every way to end all forms of racism in this country. In 2016, Bernie did have a pretty all-white leadership team. This time round, his national co-chairs are Congressman Ro Khanna, brown, former state senator Nina Turner, black, and San Juan Mayor Carmen Yulín Cruz, Latina. His campaign manager is Fez Shakir, formerly of the ACLU, who is the first Muslim to ever run a US presidential campaign. Bernie's also been willing this time round to remind voters of his own pretty impressive record on fighting for civil rights back in the 60s as a young student. I did not come from a family that taught me to build a corporate empire through housing discrimination. I protested housing discrimination. Was arrested for protesting school segregation. And one of the proudest days of my life was attending the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, led by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, Bernie Sanders, who incidentally was also one of only a handful of elected white officials in America to endorse Reverend Jesse Jackson's presidential bids in 1984 and 1988, Bernie was arrested in 1963 at a protest over school segregation. To quote my colleague Brianna Joy Gray, Bernie, especially these days, has less of a black problem and more of a pundit problem. My guest today has held professorships at Harvard, Princeton, Yale and the University of Paris. He's one of America's best-known public intellectuals who's been portrayed on Saturday Night Live and appeared in two of the three Matrix movies. He calls himself a revolutionary Christian and a democratic socialist, and he's an outspoken critic of racism, white nationalism and the US empire. Back in 2016, he campaigned alongside Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primaries. But will he be backing Bernie again this time round? Let's ask him. Dr. Cornell West, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Thank you. I salute you. You're a force for good, my brother. 
Appreciate it. Great to have you on the show. Finally, been waiting to have you on. Uh, Bernie Sanders formally announced his candidacy for president of the United States near his birthplace in Brooklyn this past weekend. You, Dr. West, famously endorsed Brother Bernie over Hillary Clinton back in 2016. Will you be backing him again this time round? Well, as you know, I was blessed to do over 100 events for my dear brother. And uh, and I this is the first time I've had a chance to publicly endorse him again. But yes, indeed, I'll be in his corner that we're going to win this time. And it has to do with the Martin Luther King-like criteria of assessing a candidate, namely the issues of militarism, poverty, materialism, and racism, xenophobia in all of its forms. That includes any kind of racism, as you know, against black people, brown people, yellow people, anybody, Arabs, Muslims, Jews, Palestinians, uh, Kashmirians, Tibetans, and so forth. So that there's no doubt that my dear brother Bernie stands shoulders above any of the other candidates running in the Democratic primary when it comes to that Martin Luther King-like standards or criteria. And that's and that's to do with the man himself. You're endorsing him as, as a person, as your brother. In terms of policy, is there a particular policy that you think is crucial to his campaign that makes him stand out from the rest? No, the policies have to do with, with policies against militarism, policies against yeah. uh, uh, poverty, the, the critiques of Wall Street, the consistency of his call for democratic accountability of corporate elites and financial elites and basically the greed that we see among so many of those elites. And the same is true about racism. I want to hit this issue head on because there's been some talk about reparations. Yep. And it's true. I've, I'm a supporter of reparations. I've been struggling for reparations for over 40 years. Uh, uh, but I, I don't see an endorsement of reparations as the only precondition of fighting against white supremacy. Uh, that he, There's no doubt that his policies will benefit poor and working people and poor and working black people and brown people more than any other candidate. And so, yes, when it comes to just reparations as a whole and a larger dialogue, certainly I'm, I'm for it. But I, I hope that uh, a lot of black folk don't get confused and sit back uh, yeah. uh, on this issue of reparations. Do you, do you think you can get him to move on reparations? Because obviously he was asked on ABC's The View uh, about whether he backed it. And he said, well, you know, we've got crises in our communities and there's other better ways to address that than by, quote, just writing out a check. And a lot of people criticized him for that, as you say. Do you think he can move on that like he's moved on other issues that you, people like well, you might persuade him? I mean, into it, a different it, there's position? no doubt about that. But the, the, but the core is ensuring that there's a fundamental transformation in the racist system under which we live so that the lives of black and brown and yellow peoples are much better. And so and that's the real issue. And so it seems to me I don't yeah. want reparations to be a, an issue that gets us away from him taking a stand on those issues yeah. so much better than so any other of the other candidates. So you say he takes uh, takes a better position on those issues than other candidates. Oh, a lot of his no liberal critics, no so a lot of his liberal critics, as you know, have said for a long time, and especially in recent days, that he's not good on race issues. They say he has a blind spot when it comes to race, both in terms of his rhetoric, in terms of the people he surrounded himself with in the past. What do you say to those liberal critics as someone who has been writing and thinking about race and racism your whole life and yet is a Bernie supporter? Well, one, it's a matter of his heart. He's an anti-racist in his heart. Two, he's old school. He's like me. He doesn't know the buzzwords. 
He doesn't endorse reparations one moment in the last 30 years silent on it. He has a consistency over the years, decade after decade, and therefore it's true in his language, in his rhetoric. There are times in which he doesn't, he doesn't say the right thing. He doesn't, he doesn't use the same kind of buzzwords. But when it comes to his fight against racism, going to jail in Chicago as a younger brother, yes. and he would go to jail again. He and I would go to jail together again. In, in, in terms of fighting against police brutality. So in that sense, I would just tell my brothers and sisters, but especially my chocolate ones, that they shouldn't be blinded by uh, uh, certain kinds of words they're looking for, that in the end, he is a long-distance runner in the struggle against white supremacy. Why do you think, as you put it, your chocolate brothers and sisters, why do you think so many of them voted for Hillary over him in 2016? It did look in 2016 like he had, quote unquote, a problem with black voters. Well, one was you had the Hillary, the Clinton machine. The Clinton machine was all, was in place before he even announced. Yep. Two, he had uh, limited name recognition. So people didn't realize he's from Vanilla State, mm. Vermont. Vermont is not known to being on the cutting edge of fighting against white supremacy. But once black people got a chance to discover who he was, and we see that now in the polls. Yeah. Now he has the highest approval ratings, one of the highest among, approval ratings with absolutely, Biden. Absolutely, yep. because they've seen the deed. They've seen the action. They've seen the, the sincerity. They've seen the genuine conviction and commitment that he has against racism. We live in an age, Dr. West, uh, in which many on the right and even some on the left refer to dismissively as identity politics. Uh, a lot of other people say, no, it's a fight for equality, for diversity, for representation. Given that backdrop to this debate, do you think the Democrats can go into the next presidential election with either an all-white or an all-male ticket? Or is that off the table in 2020? Well, in the end, it's got to do with the integrity of the person over the identity of the person. It's got to do with the policies over identity. The criteria has to be a moral and no, political I, I, one. Yeah, and I, and I agree with you that policy, at the end of the day, ideology has to matter more than anything else. Uh, but at the same time, you, you, know, you know as well as anyone else does that for minority communities, representation does matter. For women, representation does matter. If the Democrats were to have an all-white, all-male ticket, that would be hugely controversial, given it's the most diverse group of people ever running for presidency this time around. If it ended up with two white men, surely that would be a problem, regardless of what policies they advocate. No, I, I think in terms of just real politic, but... Uh, when Bernie Sanders wins the presidency, you can rest be assured it's not going to be with another vanilla brother. <laughs> There's no <laughs> doubt about that. I, I, I suspect you're right. I, th I think you're right there. I don't what? think we had to worry about that, Brother Bernie. When you look at the current field of candidates who have declared and are, are yet to declare, a lot of them have moved to the left, thanks to Bernie Sanders That's right. uh, over the last few years. A lot of them are now saying, yes, inequality is a problem. Yes, Medicare for all should be on the table, should be... Uh, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Do you worry that Bernie this time round won't stand out in the way he stood out in 2016? Because a lot of them are now singing from his hymn sheet. Yeah, but they're newcomers, you know, and they're latecomers. <laughs> Bernie is the real thing. Bernie has been a thermostat. He has shaped the climate of opinion. Too many of them are thermometers. They reflect the climate of opinion. When you're a thermostat, you are consistent, you are speaking your truth, you are bearing your witness, and there's no doubt that Bernie, and he would say, of course, the whole movement from Occupy, especially in the younger generation, multiracial to the core, that they have been thermostats. They have shaped the climate of opinion. And I think many of us in our own small ways, really, we can, we can uh, celebrate the fact that people now have to talk about grotesque wealth inequality as a result mm. of social movements, as a result of organizing and mobilizing. The Black, exactly. Black Lives Movement, that's part of that, too. The Black Lives Movement has a critique of grotesque wealth inequality, just as they have a critique of militarism. All of these things go hand in hand. So that in that regard, I mean, I, I have respect for my dear sister, uh, Elizabeth Warren. I have, uh, I've got love for Corey. I've known Brother Corey Booker for 20-some, 20 25 years or so. Uh, and he's 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 a liberal, and uh, you know I'm I'm more than a liberal, but I can still love my brother Elizabeth Warren is very progressive. Yeah. I respect my dear sister, but Bernie Sanders is the best that we have of this group, and he's the real thing in terms of being consistent. I have my own critiques of Bernie too. You know that. Tell us one of them. What's your top critique of Senator Sanders? What do you think he could do better on? Well, you know, in 2016, we put a lot of pressure on our brother in regard to foreign policy. And he has been moving in yes. a very progressive, morally laden, wise direction. Again, it's in his heart. And so uh, that, that would be one of the things that I, I, I'm concerned about, the militarism. You see, the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. has as much to do with militarism as it does with materialism, racism, and poverty. And he has, but he, he and, with he and Ro, Ro Khan, and Ro Khan I have great respect for, I just met recently, deeply impressed with him. Yep. Uh, uh, their talk about the War Powers Act of 1973 and the use of that thing in regard to the uh, the Saudi Arabian war against our precious brothers and sisters in Yemen and the U.S. arms used. I mean, this is very important, very significant in terms of fight against militarism, the fight against against American imperialism. Yeah. And, and, and Bernie has moved, and you want to see him move more, as do we all. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, but I'm not running for president. You see, I'm his, I'm his brother running in a different lane. You see, my calling is not to be a politician. <laughs> it's to be a truth teller, free of political considerations. I, th I think a lot of us prefer you in that lane. By the way, I've got to ask the age I've got to ask the age question. What do you say to critics who say Bernie Sanders is too old to be president? You can't have a president who's 79 at the start of his first term and 83 at the start of his second. What's your response to them? No, I say Bernie Sanders, he's full of fire, full of energy, in good health. And there's no doubt that he can put in four, if not eight, actually. <laughs> um, let me just move the conversation to a slightly broader subject. Just looking at the mm -hmm. big picture, do you think people in the US right now, even on the left, do you think they recognize the severity, the danger of the situation that we're in right now? You were in Charlottesville. You were there. You know that white nationalism is on the march. It has a friend, a protector, a supporter in the White House. Trump is no ordinary Republican president, is he? Oh, not at all. Trump, Trump is an authoritarian uh, figure. He's got deep neo-fascist sensibility. He's got neo-fascists in his corner. Uh, uh, I mean, we're talking about whether there's going to actually be 
anything like an American democracy in the next few years and, and decades. That's really what's at stake here. Mm. And I think this is a very important issue that we have to have a candidate who can inspire at the deepest level the best values and instincts of the American people. That's why I'm convinced that Brother Bernie Sanders is the only person who can beat Donald Trump, just like I was convinced he could have actually won in 2016. I just hope that the Democratic Party could be. You you think Trump could beat the other Democrats? I don't know. I think a lot of the Democrats would beat Trump personally. I think maybe 2016 Bernie could have beaten in the way that Clinton didn't. I think Trump is more vulnerable than we think, although we shouldn't be complacent. Of course, he could get a of course, he could get a second term. I don't know about that, brother. I just don't think that a uh, neoliberal centrist can generate any of the deep fire that we need among the best of our, uh, uh, the best fire or the best sensibilities among our, our, our citizens. You're going to have to have somebody who's got a, a long history and longevity of integrity. You've served one, one, one other interesting aspect of the current politics is the rise of the left, the rise of socialism. You've served, I believe, as chair of the Democratic Socialists of America. That's right. When you hear Republicans now obsessing over socialism, the S word is mentioned on Fox News with horror almost day in, day out. Trump went out of his way to attack socialism in his State of the Union. What's your reaction? Does it amuse you to see how worried people on the right and even the center seem to be these days by the rise of socialism by the likes of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? Well, I salute my dear sister AOC and all the others who are fundamentally committed to the uh, the lives of poor and working people of all colors here in this country. It's a good thing to see uh, right-wing uh, fellow citizens uh, afraid of the word socialism because that word signifies human beings who are fundamentally concerned with the plight and predicament of ordinary people, of everyday people, and want to ensure they have access, a right to health care, quality education, a right to raise their voices and shape their destinies without big money and big military standing in the way in terms of money spent on the budget. So in that sense, it's really a sign that the awakening on the left is concrete. Mm. Younger generation in polls say they prefer socialism over capitalism, yeah, and, not and, in the and, abstract. No, no, they prefer, and and those, they, are, those they prefer are revealing a, polling results. But the polling also shows that while, right, most, while right. most Americans like socialist policies, they still don't like socialism, that's the right. word, the name, the ideology. The Ameri- most Americans still call themselves capitalists. It's still a bit of an uphill struggle, right? No, it is. It is. And uh, as you know, I mean, in the end, it's not going to be a matter of a word. I mean, I'm a revolutionary Christian before I'm a democratic socialist, right? My understanding of what it is to be a Christian means I embrace my comrades, I embrace my fellow citizens and fellow human beings who are fighting against forms of injustice that lose sight of the dignity of poor and working people. And the same is true. You got a whole host of Malcolm X was first and foremost a Muslim before he was a revolutionary socialist. But he was in. But he was in the same orientation, even with a stronger critique of empire, as we yeah. know. So a lot of people get there in a lot of different ways. You know, just before we finish, I do want to ask: You were a supporter of Barack Obama before he was elected in two thousand eight, the last Democratic president. You campaigned for him. Right. Then you fell out with him big time. You called him a fake progressive. You said he did ugly deeds. He left behind a sad legacy. Now I'm no blind defender of the Obama presidency. Far from it. I've criticized many aspects of it, as you have, including on this show. But just to be devil's advocate. When you look at what Trump's doing now, trying to undo a lot of the few good things that Obama did, healthcare, financial regulation, protecting the dreamers, the Iran deal, the Paris climate change accords, it kind of paints Obama in a much more positive light now, doesn't it, given looking at what Trump's trying to undo? 
I think most U.S. presidents look pretty good when you look at a gangster called Donald Trump. So, so that's a pretty low bar, and that's it. But no, <laughs> but, but my, but my, that's but true. my question for my dear brother Barack Obama was precisely the one that I raised for uh, uh, for brother Bernie Sanders, and it was true with my dear brother Bill Bradley and others who I've supported. It's not that I look for full agreement. I'm always going to be a critic. My calling is to be as Socratic as I can be to try to be as prophetic as I can be. So I'm always going to be a critic after they move into power. But when it comes to those fundamental issues that I raised before, when you're friendly to Wall yeah. Street, if you're going to bring in Tim Geithner, you're going to get my critique. If you're dropping drones on precious folk in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Yemen and Somalia, you're going to get my critique. If you have a national security, mm. a national surveillance state that's keeping track, it's violating rights and liberties. If you're engaging in the killing of U.S. citizens without due process, you're going to get my critique. That's true for any president. I don't care what color. I don't care what gender. I don't care what sexual orientation. So yes, yep. Barack Obama looks very good. He was the brilliant black face of the American empire with all of its ugly militarism and racism and materialism and poverty. And Donald Trump is the know-nothing white face of the American empire <laughs> with the same things and much worse. He's got neo-fascist sensibilities. That much worse. I'm glad we agree. Question. Much worse. Much, much worse. I've just got to ask you one thing before we do finish. Sure. You've been attacked in the past for your strong support for the occupied Palestinian people, and you're pretty blunt in your criticisms of Israel and supporters of Israel. What do you make of the attacks on Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who was on this show last week, who is young, female, black, but is saying things about Israel that many of her critics say sounds anti-Semitic? Well, I think they're wrong, but I think I say to you what I said when I was a member of the Democratic Platform Committee. I said my tradition was the tradition of John Coltrane's Love Supreme is a two-love affair. We got to fall in love with the Palestinian people, fall in love with the Jewish people, acknowledge that a Palestinian baby has exactly the same status as a Jewish baby, and therefore you, when you love folk, you hate the fact they're being occupied, hate the fact they're being dominated, hate the fact they're being demonized. Now, if the Palestinians were engaged in an occupation of Jews, it would be exactly the same thing. When Jewish, Jewish innocent people are killed, you got a, Jewish, a, a love affair with Jewish people, it's wrong. That's a crime against humanity. When Palestinian innocent people are killed, when Palestinian innocent people are being occupied, ex dominated, it's wrong. It's a crime against humanity. You have to have a moral consistency across the board. So how much of the attacks on Ilhan Omar do you think are about the fact that she is a black woman in a headscarf? Well, I mean, one is she's just a courageous sister. Uh, and so she's shattering taboos. You know, she, she's like any other uh, critic. She's cutting against the grain. Five or 10 years from now, it will be normal. In 1982, Edward Zaid and I were marching in front of the New York Times just trying to get them to use the word occupation. <laughs> now it's not, now it's mainstream. Now it's normal. So that anytime you look back of people who are willing to speak the truth, but you make, but what I would say to my dear sister is always keep the moral and spiritual consistency and content up front that there's no space whatsoever for any kind of anti-Jewish sentiment, no space for anti-Palestinian sentiment. This is a human thing, and it has to do with the fact that each and every one of us deserve a certain kind of dignity no matter who we are, and it's impossible under occupation. There can be no Jewish security with occupation. 
There can be no Palestinian justice with occupation. And and last, last question, Dr. West. You've talked about the need to be a prophetic voice. You've written about a history of black revolutionary figures uh, being optimistic versus being pessimistic. When you look at the America of today, of Donald Trump, are you optimistic or are you pessimistic about the future? I'm never optimistic or pessimistic about any empire. I'm a prisoner of hope. That's something different. And hope is not something to talk about. It's something to be. You got to be a hope. You got to fight. You got to struggle. You got to swing. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing, brother. That's Duke. (laughs) That's Ella Fitzgerald. And that swing has to do with intellectual, moral, spiritual weaponry. Tell the truth, bear witness, live and be willing to die. That's my tradition. Dr. West, keep bearing witness. We need you. Thank you so much for joining me on Deconstructed. I salute you, my dear brother. Stay strong and God bless your loved ones, man. That was Dr. Cornell West speaking to me from Harvard. You heard him endorse Bernie Sanders there for the first time in this campaign and point out how Bernie stands head and shoulders above the other candidates when it comes to a lifelong commitment to progressive causes. And I think he's right about that. You also heard Dr. West say that Bernie is the only candidate who can beat Donald Trump in 2020. I think he's wrong about that. I think Trump is a much weaker candidate than some on the left assume. And more importantly, I hope and pray he's wrong about that because whoever the Democrat candidate is in 2020, whether it's Bernie or anyone else. They have to beat Trump or we are genuinely screwed. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Dina Sayed Ahmed is our production assistant. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Lital Molard is our executive producer. Our theme music is composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.